morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. As we continue our sermon series on heaven, I want to pray for us once again. And uh, we'll begin. Lord, I thank you for the pages that turn. I thank you for your word. I thank you, O oh God, for your truth that we need every moment of our life. And I pray today, O oh God, that you would guide us through this time and that you would comfort us and teach us as we need it. And uh, Lord, I'm so grateful for all of the truth that we've already sung this morning. God, we look forward to next week to celebrating your resurrection. God, we are grateful for Easter. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to invite folks to come and to hear the good news. And God, we are grateful once again, Lord, for your power over death that you allow us to join you in so that we may have heaven. God, we are grateful for a church that attends and gives and loves and serves. And I pray, oh God, that we would be the church that you have in mind. Lord, that we would worship in spirit and truth, that we would be here to serve and not to be served. God, we ask that we would be the church, Lord, that uh, you would have us to be. And we thank you, O oh God, for, again, your word that challenges us and changes us, and we pray that you would speak over us now. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 14. In John chapter 13, the preceding chapter, Jesus is speaking to his disciples about future events that will be betrayal, that will be denial, that will be death, the things that we just sung about. That's what you'll find in John chapter 13 that is troubling Jesus. The Bible says in chapter 13, verse 1, that his hour had come to leave this world and return to the Father. But before Jesus would return to heaven, before Jesus would go to be with the Father, it was going to get worse before it got better. Jesus, being fully God, never gave up his divinity while here on earth. But being fully man, he experienced all the emotions that we experience. The scripture says in chapter 13, verse 21, Jesus was deeply troubled, and he exclaimed, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Now think about that for just a second. The Son of God, deeply troubled. Your version may say troubled in his spirit. That means that his, his feelings were playing loudly in his life. In fact, this is the third time in three chapters that the Lord was experiencing this emotion. In chapter 11, he was angry over the doubt and disbelief of people. In chapter 12, he was stressed in the, at the weight of responsibility that was before him. And now in chapter 13, he is saddened at the sting of betrayal. Anger, stress, and sadness. Jesus experienced all of this. All of it. And this is why, another reason why, you can cast your cares upon him. This is the reason why you can take your worries, your anger, your stress, your sadness to Jesus. Because not only did he say that he loves us, but he has felt what we feel in human form. The scripture says in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 that Jesus understands our weaknesses. That he faced all the same testing that we faced, yet he did not sin. So when you are praying and seeking when you are calling out and crying out, you are not calling on one who's never been through the fire himself. You are calling on, on Jesus who firsthand experienced being vulnerable, who firsthand experienced being in need and hurt, and yet Jesus handled it perfectly. 
So this is the one we should run to when we are experiencing all the feels. This is the one that we should go to because he handled it perfectly. He went through it. He kept going. And then he ministered to others. And we know that he, God, cares for us. So we take all of this that we are feeling this morning and we run to him with it. You see, it's important to see how Jesus handled it, handles this. What Jesus does with a troubled heart, knowing that there are many here this morning, there are more that are watching online, there are many that enter into these doors or even stay away from the sanctuary because of a troubled heart. And if this is you, it's important to see what Jesus does after chapter 11, 12, and 13 of the Bible saying that he is troubled in his spirit. It's very simple. It's very serious. He does not quit. He does not quit. He does not lash out. He does not run away. He does not self-medicate. He does not escape out of his mind. He does not skirt his responsibility. He does not bury himself under the covers. He does not take to the socials to get people on his side. What Jesus does is by the will of God and the strength of God, he presses on. And like a caring parent, and I say that because he calls the disciples their dear children. Like a caring parent, he holsters his troubles and attends to theirs. I found myself praying for, for you this week, a few of you that have mentioned things specifically about cares in your life that you are casting to God. I found myself praying this week a very simple prayer of, Lord, help us. But then as I understood the scripture of how Jesus dealt with what's going on with him, after I prayed, Lord, help us, I prayed, Lord, help us to handle it until you do. Help us to handle suffering and sadness and anger and bitterness and stress. Help us who follow you to handle it like you in this world. So this all leads to John chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus tells those who are his dear children, meaning those who followed him and all those who ever would, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. So for three chapters, the heart of their master, the, the heart of the one that they were following had been troubled, and none of those guys reached out to Jesus. None of those guys wrapped their arm around Jesus. None of those guys went and sat next to him. Maybe they didn't know what to say, but just wanted them to know that they care. None of those guys brought him barbecue and baked beans. See, that, that will connect here. N none of them went with their cares to a troubled heart and ministered to his needs. The point that I'm making is not that you should just toughen up and get over it and move on and bury your feelings underneath the cover of ministry. That is not the point that I'm making. 2 Corinthians says that we are to be comforted and then we comfort. So I would add to that, you need to seek the help that you need. You, yes, you need to go and talk with someone who will give you biblical guidance and counsel and be patient in trouble. For your personal comfort will precede your personal ministry. Sometimes people are in the middle of a storm and they want to help somebody else who's in the middle of a storm and they've not yet gotten out of it. So please receive Christian ministry and then be prepared to give it. 
What I'm showing you today is this is more of an example of trust. That Jesus put his will into the will of the Father. For the glory of God, he pressed on. And for the good of man, he pressed on. But I also want you to see just how much God cares for you and wants you to live with hope and purpose. That when he was deeply troubled in his heart, knowing the excruciating suffering that he was about to go through, he turned his attention to the troubles of the disciples. This is the God we just sang about. And out of his troubles, he he remained focused on the glory of God. And when you remain focused on the glory of God, you will be focused on the good of man. There was a song that my mother used to sing in church growing up that goes like this. When he was on the cross, I was on his mind. Now, a lot of you may know that song, and and there's a dividing line on that song because some folks love that song and treasure it. But there are also some folks that don't agree with it. They would say, well, you wasn't on his mind when he was on the cross. It was the glory of God that was on his mind. He did things for the glory of the Father. So they sing, th- sing songs like, not to us, but to your name be the glory. And honestly, it's things like that that often will divide the church, to which I would say, y'all, it's both. When you've got the glory of God as an aim of your heart, you've got the good of man as a mission on your mind. And that's where these things come together. That's the conclusion of what you see here. Jesus, the Son of God, deeply troubled, is headed to the cross. And if you look back a couple chapters, he's going to get there because of the glory of the Father. But while he's headed there, his disciples are struggling, and he attends to their needs. Man, praise be unto God for his persistence to the glory of the Father and how deeply he cares for us. The disciples were troubled. And they're troubled because in John chapter 13, verse 33, Jesus says, I'm only going to be with y'all a little bit longer. He had completely changed their life. All of their hope was wrapped up in him. All of their transformation was wrapped up in him. And then Jesus says, I'm not going to be here much longer. So what does that mean? It means change is coming. It means hurt is on the way. Uncertainty All of the things that Jesus had told them and put on display before them were just about to be called into question in the next few days. And so there's this urgency from the disciples. And what you see in chapter 13 is one of them going, Now, hold up now, where are you going? If if you're leaving, then we want to go with you. And they would say things like this, like, Why can't I come right now? If you're going there and we're following you, we want to be there right now. There's the troubled heart of the disciples to which Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 6, don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. All of you in here know that this is one of the verses that is used more times than not at a funeral. Right? We're talking about home going. Talking about grave size. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God, trust also in me. So Jesus leaves his disciples with homework. The homework to trust. Jesus knows that the crowds and the authority are going to take him down. But he also knows that the power of God is going to raise him up. So he is getting them to focus on forward truth that is coming. And I want you to write this down this morning because it's very simple, but it's very serious. And it will help you. Three words. Trust the truth. 
That'll help you right now. Trust the truth. Jesus is about to tell them the truth about future events, about eternal things, about heaven. He's going to speak to them about future with God. This is the truth out of our Savior's mouth. Trust the truth. Your feelings will take you in one door and out another. They'll take you on a roller coaster ride of what should you do. You act. I met with a guy this morning. He was dealing with his feelings. He did one thing yesterday. He's trying another today. Your feelings will take you all over the place. The Bible will take you straight to God every time. Trust the truth. And what does Jesus tell them about heaven? What does Jesus tell his disciples about a future with God? First of all, he's teaching them that there is room. He says in John chapter 14, verse 2, there is more than enough room in my Father's home. Now, if your translation says mansion, all that means is residence. It means dwelling place. It means a dwelling place for those who live and believe in Jesus in the Father's house. I say this because we often think of heaven like we think of the game we used to play in school called MASH. Come on now. Any of y'all remember MASH? Mansion, apartment, shack, house. Okay, now we're connecting with some. Our children... We're playing this not too long ago. I was like, this has carried on? MASH is transcending across generations? So when you played MASH, obviously when you played the little game, you wanted the circle to fall on M because you wanted a mansion. And so we want to hear the teaching point today, there ain't going to be no shacks in heaven. Like that's the teaching point we want to hear. But I'm going to tell you this, I'll take a shack with the Lord. Because wherever the Lord is, that's where heaven is. So the preaching point is, once again, not about what we get. It's about who we will be with. And I know this. I know this to be biblically true because the disciples at this point were not saying anything about, Lord, I'm going to need at least 2,500 square feet and a few acres. <laughs> They're not bringing any of that to him. Now, there were times when the disciples got selfish and they were thinking to themselves, Lord, when you come into your kingdom, I want to sit right beside you. These other guys can fend for themselves, but I want that spot of glory. And they got selfish thinking about the world just like we do. But none of them at this time cared about that at all. Because Jesus says, I'm about to leave. I'm not going to be here any much longer. And what did they want more than anything? Not a mansion, not an acreage, not to know anything about all that would be there they wanted to know if they could be with him. We don't want you to leave. They treasured his presence more than anything. Why? Because there is peace and rest with God. So what he's talking about is peace in God and rest with God forever and always. When I'm away from my wife and kids... The object, truly, the object of my affection, when I'm away from them for a, an extended period of time, I don't really care about mansion, apartment, shack, or house. I could care less. I just want to be with them. I just want to be in their presence. And that's really, again, for the second week in a row as we are studying heaven at a different focal point verse, that's really the point once again. 
as we grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus and as Jesus, our living God, Savior and King, becomes more and more our selfish desires of heaven and even on earth will become less and less. And when we talk about the presence of God and the peace and rest that will be with him forever, we'll give a wholehearted amen because we understand There is room, the Bible says. Jesus said, there is more than enough room in my Father's house. This sanctuary that you sit in today, it was made to hold as many folks as we can to draw near to God in worship and fellowship. But notice that I said, as we can. You see, the capacity of heaven is not limited limited because God is not limited. Therefore, space and place of heaven, that's not the issue when it comes to eternal life. It's enough. Heaven is enough for all of those believers that came before us, all of us now, and all of those that will go to heaven after we're gone. That is the unlimited space of heaven. There's more than enough room. And all throughout Scripture, the nations are mentioned as the reach of God's good news. Make no mistake, the narrow gate is narrow, but the house is big. It is large with more than enough room. And because the capacity of heaven is not limited, the reach of the church should not be either. If you're one of those folks that thinks, how come y'all sending a lot of folks and money overseas to reach across cultures? It's because heaven's going to include all cultures. That's why. You better bet you we're already reaching around here. That's why we reach the edge of this county, the edge of this country, and the edge of the world. This is why we put Give to Go missions offering before you in October so that our resources will be found faithful before God as we are reaching all of the people that he created across the globe because there's more than enough room in the Father's house for all of us to get in there. Revelation chapter 21 verse 26 says, All the nations will bring their glory and honor into the city. All of them. So there is room. And then Jesus teaches them that there is a prepared place. John chapter 14, verse 2, the last part of that verse says, If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? Jesus is going to prepare a place for those who would follow him, who would live and believe in him, placing their faith in him and trust in him. Now, last week in a group, we were asked this question when we were talking about heaven. And one guy asked the question, said, if heaven was created by, through, and for Jesus, then why would he need to go get anything ready? To which I was like, that's a great question. Next question, right? <laughs> so I took that and studied, studied that this week, and really I come away with two thoughts on that. One, the, the Scripture sets precedence, precedence for a forerunner that goes before the rest of us all. And, and this was customary in the New Testament, to send someone ahead before the whole crew arrived. In fact, you see in Mark chapter 14 that Jesus sends ahead two disciples ahead of them all to prepare the Passover meal. So there is is this element of a forerunner before the rest of us get there. But there's also a mysterious element because Jesus did not give details to this when he spoke on it. He didn't give a bunch of details about, all right, the place I'm going to prepare you is going to look like this. And it's going to include these things. And the resting place will be like this. The second thing that I I, I think about or conclude is that the preparation is not so much within heaven as it is on earth. 
What is the preparations that he is making for those who live and believe in him? First of all, the preparation is to go to the cross that would unlock the door so that we could get to God. And second of all, the preparation is that he arose from the grave in all the power of God to open the door for us to enter into the presence of God. This is the preparation that Jesus made and was carried out on earth for us and for the glory of God. Regardless, the thought of Jesus preparing a place for us tells us what? This tells us more about the preparer than it does the place. That Jesus, the Son of God, would have on his mind before the cross and the grave and the resurrection. He would have on his mind the prepared place for those who live and believe in him. I can't even get over that. Like when I think about, and, and if we can't get over that, we think too much of ourselves. If we cannot get to this place of all before God, that God in the flesh would go and prepare a place for us and have us in his mind, if we cannot get to the place of worship and praise and honor and a head bowed over that, we got too much of me on our mind. Parents, what did you do before your first child was born? What did you do? You prepared a place. Haven't even seen the kid. Haven't even seen the child yet. But what did you do? You set up a place for that child. The child had not yet arrived. So the place tells us more about your love than it does the specifics of the room. It tells us more about the heart of a parent than it does the specifics of what's going to be in there. You love that child, so you prepared for that child. Whatever the prepared place had to be, whatever it looks like, y'all go study that during Wednesday night. Go study that in your group on Sunday morning. Study that individually during the week. But keep in mind, the prepared place is about you. The preparer is the one that our glory goes to. Whatever the prepared place had to be, whatever it looks like, the thought that Jesus would give us an eternal dwelling that he had prepared shows just how much that God has done for our good. Now, what will we do with that the rest of this week? Go home and turn ourselves back on? When God has thought of this, of this much, God could force us to worship him. But he serves us towards worshiping him. I don't get it. When I think of myself and what I deserve, it ain't that. Are you with me? God could force me to my knees to worship him, and yet he came to be, not to be served, but to what? To serve. There is room. There is a prepared place, and there is time. The Scripture says in John chapter 14, verse 3, speaking of eternal life, when everything is ready, Jesus said, I will come and get you. So that you will always be with me where I am. When everything is ready, I'm going to be back and I'm going to get you so that you'll always be with me in my presence. Just as sure as we celebrate the miraculous birth of Jesus at Christmas, we will also celebrate King Jesus as he arrives for the second time. That is just as much a part of our faith as Christmas is. Are you with me? We believe just as much about Jesus coming again as we do that he came the first time. And when Jesus comes back, either as souls 
that will join new bodies, we will be lifted to him in the air. Or as live people are who are here when he comes back, we will join all of them in the air. He will come again and make all things right. Now, scholars will disagree on when this event will take place. Some of this may interest you. Some of this may not. But scholars will disagree. Churches, Christians alike, will disagree on how all of this is going to go down and when all of this will take place. Whether it is a singular event that happens all at once at the end of the age or it is a two-stage process where believers are rescued before the tribulation and then the return of the king after the tribulation. So there's a disagreement amongst Christians about how this is all going to look. Personally, I believe God is going to protect his church from that great time of testing. I believe that God is going to take care of us just like he took care of Noah and the followers before the flood. My wife and her family, her immediate family, have this ongoing tradition. Whenever we have been able to go to the beach together, we all drive separately to the beach. And then once we are there and the groceries are put up and everybody in the rental house is standing together in the kitchen, it begins. And when it begins, this is when I roll my eyes, sigh, and walk out. Every time they all, amongst themselves, will begin to discuss the route that they took to get there. Gosh. And one of them will tell how they took 274 to 68, and we came down and avoided the construction on 327. And that's why you need to take 68, because it always takes you through around. And I'm just like, who cares? We're here. Right? It happens every time we've ever done that. I can picture it right now. And they begin to say, well, the reason why you should take this the next time, it doesn't matter. We're all here together. We're all about to go to the beach. All of this. So the point of that is this. You may believe one or the other when it comes to end times events. You may believe that it's a two-step process. You may believe that it's going to be all one thing at the end of the day. If you believe on this, either way, it's not heresy. So our identity in Christ and our existence as a church does not depend on your end-time theology. Just as one more thing that Satan would like to get in front of you with to divide any group of folks that call themselves the church. So when we are with Jesus at the end of the day, I don't really believe that any of us are going to look back and go, I told you that was it. <laughs> but some of y'all are going to be tempted to do it, I promise. But I really don't think we're going to do that. I don't think we're going to look back and go, now, Jesus, what I thought was going to happen. was that, You really think we're going to care about that then? So if it's not the main thing, then don't let it be the main thing. I, I say that to preach that point now. If it's not the main thing, should you let it divide you and bust up this place? That's just one example of many things that can get in the way of being the main thing. God is our focus. There are certain things that we must agree on doctrinally to move forward together, but there are certain things that you don't have to force somebody else to agree with you over just so they can get in here. Come on. And this doesn't mean we don't study it. This doesn't mean we don't disagree or discuss it. 
Because the return of Jesus is significant. Absolutely significant. There are 318 references to the second coming of Jesus in the New Testament. It is essential to our hope and our faith. And we need to look forward and be reminded that he's coming again because the time is running short. When is Jesus coming back? I don't know, but I know it's going to be quicker than it was the day before us. So we need to stay focused on the mission. We need to stay focused on the glory of God and people. If you're hurting, you need that reminder of the promises of God that the promises will be fulfilled. And God doesn't make promises that he breaks. As we see the war in distant lands, as we see the immorality of this culture continue to get worse, as we see stress in our own families and personal struggles, as we experience the loss of loved ones, all of these things, we need, as the Scripture says, to think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. For we died to this life, the Bible says in Colossians 3, 4. Your real life is hidden with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is your life, is revealed to the whole world, you'll share in his glory. And that's why we need to think about that which is to come that we have not experienced. Verses like this remind us to focus our minds on the glory of God and breathe. And to trust the truth that God has prepared a place and that's with Jesus, and that glory is going to be real good. Y'all, can I tell you the truth about it? As we think about heaven, and sometimes when we don't really grasp eternal life, and we are so wrapped up in us and what we got going on, some of us are looking forward to football season more than we're looking forward to heaven. And if you don't follow football, then insert whatever you want. Some of us are looking forward to dates on the calendar that we have going, God, can we get this in? Listen, I get it because I'm, I'm just like you. Now, I'm an Auburn fan, so I'm really thinking about heaven. So, <laughs> But I am, uh, I'm just like you. And the fact that I think about all the things, I think about the future with my family, I think about the future of this church. I think about all the things that we want to get in. And I think that's all the reason why we need to personally get closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the disciples were not thinking about any of those things. What they were thinking about was being with him. I'll come and get you when the time is right. This is another one of those promises that God will keep. And instead of worrying about when that time will be and what it looks like, just know that God keeps his promises. Children and parents, parents, if you tell your children, I'm going to come and pick you up, and let's just say there are two children, brother and sister or whatever in that family, and the parents have told them, we're coming to get you. And there's a discussion amongst the children about what they said and when they're going to come get us. At the end of the day, the dominant idea is the promise that the parents will keep that they'll come and get you. That's it. And that's the promise found here at the end of the verse. What does Jesus say? You will always be with me where I am. Always. When Jesus died and rose again and ascended into heaven, he sent the Spirit of God. The, the, the availability always of Almighty God, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost that is with us now. 
How do we know that guides us into all truth, that convicts us of our sin? Even as you sit here this morning, if there's something going on in your heart that you know you need to get closer to God with, that's not me. That's the Holy Ghost. That's the Spirit of God. I can't do anything for your heart. That's what God does. God never leaves us alone. And when we die, we will always be with Him. Always. Heaven will be forever. Always in the presence of God. That is the main consideration of every question of what it will be like. What will it be like? Only light, no darkness. Is that good? Only light, no darkness. What will it be like? Only peace, no pain. Good enough? Only peace, no pain. This verse is just like the last. Just as the prepared place tells us more about the provider, this tells us more about the rescuer than it does the rescue. So there is room, there's a prepared place, there's a time, and then finally there is a way. Scripture says in verses 4 through 6, read it with me. He tells his troubled disciples, and you will know the way to where I'm going. (laughs) And I love this, because Thomas is like, no, no, we really don't know. (laughs) You know, like, he probably looks around like we do in our small group, and everybody else is thinking it, and he's the guy that says it. Lord, they ain't going to say nothing, so I'm going to say it. We don't know where you're going. Can you please enlighten us? He says, no, we don't know, Lord. We have no idea where you are going. So how can we know the way? And this is the verse that we quote all the time. Verse 6, Jesus told them, I am the way, the truth. And the life, and no one can come to the Father except through me. Jesus was going to be with the Father. And y'all, I understand that this is a Christian church, and many folks in here believe the same as me, but I guarantee you there are people here today or watching online that believe that everybody, no matter what they believe, are going to go to heaven when they die. There is definitely that thought in the world. It's possible that it's in here today, that you know what the Bible says, but your thought is that everybody, no matter what they are following or what they do, everybody's going to go to heaven when they die. And I just want to lovingly tell you the truth of Scripture that that is not true. It's not true. And I'm not telling you that today to shout you down or make you feel bad. I'm telling you that today because I care. It would be a hateful thing of me to tell you, yeah, I can get up with that. Everybody gets in. But then when I started listing names of people that you think should get in, you'd be like, well, I don't know about them. Well, how's that work then? You see, heaven is an exclusive place. It really is. Heaven is an exclusive place. Jesus is talking to his disciples. It's exclusive because heaven is the abode of God, the dwelling place of God. And what do we know about God? God is is holy. The scripture even talks about Christians. We can't approach God any way we want to. Even talks about us coming into the sanctuary. We shouldn't skip on up into the sanctuary dragging sins from the weekend in here like we're the main thing. We shouldn't come into the presence of God, into the singing of God, the praying to God, the preaching from God, thinking that we're we're number one and everything that we've got going on is permissible. We're not to approach God like that. There is somebody that's greater than you if you can buy that. That God is holy. 
That means he is without blemish. There is no darkness in him at all. So when we know that God is holy and we know exactly who we are, because before I even finish the sentence, we know when we say that God is holy, we know in our heart we're not. From the pastor to the prisoner, we've all got sin. All of us. And to stand before a holy God in and of ourselves or to remain within ourselves and think we'll just skip on into God and hope he don't see us. That's not true. So that leaves things hopeless unless we get to the next sentence. Well, is there a way then? Is there a way? Is there a way to get to where you're going? Can we be with you all the time? Jesus said, trust the truth. I am the way. I am the way. That's the big deal with Christianity and Jesus. That's the why we sing the name, lift the name, pray in the name of Jesus, because Jesus is the way to heaven. I don't know how much more plain I can make it. Jesus is the way to the Father. That means if Jesus is the way, and make note of that, he's not a way. He is the way. If Jesus is the way, that means that all the other suggestions and all the other conclusions are false outside of him. That's it. That means false gods, the smartest guy in the room, intelligent philosophy, good works, and that's the thing we hold on to the most. I hope my good outweighs my bad. Well, just a little bit of bad means you're not holy. So good works, religious adherence, relatives who were preachers, that's, I hear that one. You ask about people's salvation. Well, I had an uncle that was a second cousin of a circuit riding priest. What does that have to do with your salvation, dude? There's ho- they just want to hope. They just want to hope that that's what gets them in. Y'all, if you would answer with any of these things today, well, we attend a Baptist church. Well, good for you. I'm not asking where you attend church. I'm asking about your salvation. Are you stand right before God. Are you right with God? So religious adherence, you can attend church a few times or all the times. Yes, but I gave money. Good for you and thank you because we'll be a good steward of that. That ain't going to get you in though. See, all of these things that we think other people across the world are worshiping these false gods that lead us to darkness. It's just as dark as those that live out on 72 that think their good works are going to get them in. See, we'll live in that too. Well, we live in North Alabama. We're a part of a Christian culture. Christian culture and Christianity are very much not the same thing a lot. If you were relying on anything other than Jesus for entrance into heaven, you need, according to the Word of God out of the care of the Bible, you need to turn from your sin and by faith turn to God and place your faith in Jesus Christ. He is the only way that leads to heaven. That is it. It's not about who you are or what you do. It's about who you know. And I would ask today, do you know him? Have you turned from your sin and turned to God? Now, y'all don't start moving when we get to this invitation because this is a serious time. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Before you stand to your feet, let's just consider this right now. In your heart and mind, have you turned from yourself and turned to God? placing your faith in Jesus Christ. 
And I'm not talking just about a check of a box or there was something that happened. I'm asking you, has God changed your life and your desires away from yourself and towards him because the Holy Spirit is present in you? Have you called upon the name of the Lord to be saved? Is there a question mark in your heart? With every head bowed, eyes closed, is there a question mark in your heart? You know, I don't know. I, I really hope to. I'm here to tell you that you can know. That if you have the Son, you have life. That's what the Bible says. Is there enough of an, a question mark in your heart for you to talk with somebody and just get it right and make sure? We tell you this not to prove it wrong. We tell you this because we want you to go to heaven when you die. To be with God who serves us and loves us. Today, would you be so bold at the end of our time to catch me out in the foyer or walk this aisle and talk to people who care about you and just let them know as you put off the airs, let them know, I need to be saved. That's all you got to say, I need to be saved. Lord, we give this invitation knowing that you invite us to a place of decision. And God, we thank you for your grace that's extended to this day. And Lord, we very much need you for all things. Lord, there is no eternal life apart from faith in Jesus Christ. Your word has taught us that this morning. If there is one grown man, if there is one adult woman, if there is one teenager or college student, if there is a senior adult, if there is a child who in their heart cannot deny what you are doing right now, Lord, I pray that you give them the boldness to take the first step and you carry them the rest of the way towards the decision point. Lord, I also know that we are to be obedient. God, if we need to be baptized, Lord, if we need to be a part of this church, join. Lord, if there are things in our personal life we need to throw out or pick up, God, that you would lead us and we would respond just as much to that as we would to salvation. I just ask, Holy Spirit of God, that you would guide us into all truth in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand to your feet? Let's worship together. I want you to know that this altar is open for you. Please come and pray. Please come and pray over Easter. Please come and pray over things that you've got going on. Please come if you have a decision. Come and talk to the pastor. Come and talk to a decision counselor. We want to help you. Amen.